Well, hi, we're about ready to do Revelation 5, uh, chapter 5. Let me do a little housekeeping first, if I may, please. Um, and it, 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 it has gotten confusing, there's no question. The first several lessons I did on Revelation are up on the 4th Avenue Church website, uh, as they should be. And on the church official website, they only have the audio. And it's part of a very long series that's taken us through the year called You Are Here. And so they're, they're just numbered. And that means you can't go and search and find them very easily. So if you go to the 4th Avenue Church website, then just look up the, the worship service that starts um, September 20th of this year, 2020. And you'll find the audio for the first several as we set up this book. Now, there's also the uh, video of the entire worship on a church website. It's just audio on the church YouTube page, 4th Avenue Church of Christ on YouTube. You will find um, the video of the entire service. Once again, you'll have to look for September 20th. This is all getting rather confusing. So here's what I plan to do. We're doing Revelation chapter 5 right now. I plan to go back and redo those lessons just for the YouTube channel that I've got here. I have no interest in taking pe people, listeners, viewers away from the 4th Avenue sites. It's just we're trying to get it all into one place. And if you want to see the worship and um, participate in all of that, I highly encourage you to go to those sites, especially the 4th Avenue Church of Christ YouTube channel. This won't be it. This is just chapter five. And if I had my way in dividing the chapters of the Bible, first of all, I wouldn't. You ought to try reading the Bible without chapters and verses. It changes it. It's no longer a disconnected, disjointed book of maybe law, but rather a story that just wraps you up and takes you along with it. And I think that's what it's supposed to be. But if I had to, to do the chapter divisions, I would not have divided four and five. Chapter four, if you remember, you get ushered into the throne room of God. You get to see something which human beings are not allowed to see. A few got to see it and they were shut down. But then you get to see at least this much. It's very, it, it's quite an honor to get the glimpse of the inside. A preacher friend of mine, Jack Abels, has just written a book on Revelation, and uh, specifically, he wants to help his beloved churches in Uganda to help understand Revelation. The book has not yet been published. It will be soon, and I will absolutely announce it and publicize it here. Jack Abels is a, an exceptional, exceptional man of God, and his wife, Kathy, is one of the best women you'll ever meet. If you're very fortunate, you'll get to meet her. That said, he says that Revelation 7 is about his favorite chapter in all of Scripture. And I can understand that. Let me surprise you, but to, for anybody to say their favorite Scripture uh, in all the Bible is, is out of Revelation. But yeah, chapter 5 is reality. This is something which is a little harder to deal with. And I may bring this up in an early, you know, when I go back and redo those, I may add in a lesson on just how weird the universe is and why this is reality. Let me put it to you this way, though. You've all seen the pictures of the atom and it has a little 
nucleus here and has the electrons going around. If you were to see an atom, it wouldn't look like that. It would look like a fuzzy tennis ball because the electrons are just flying around it in random. They don't go around in a circle like this in one plane. Also, you would notice something else, and that is that it is almost entirely space empty. The universe is about 99.99% .99 empty space. You are about 99.99% .99 empty space. I am not insulting you. It is merely a fact that the space between our atoms is much greater than the space taken up by our atoms. Now, why would I say all of that? Well, you could get our entire Earth uh, and, and everybody on it and everything on it. If you were to take away all of the space, you'd have about a ping pong ball size. That's how much empty space is there. Which is why whenever people say, you know, I'll believe it when I see it, they're being rather silly. Because we see such a tiny portion of what is real. And all that empty space out there, well, we know that the universe is almost entirely made. Uh, over 90% is what most people will say. Most scientists will say over 95%. Dark matter and dark energy. And we've never found it. It makes up almost the entire universe. And we can't find it. We know it's there because of the effect it has on the things that we do see such as curving light and gravitational forces and that sort of thing. All right, I'm gonna back out of science here in just a moment, but just let me give it to you this way. What we see in Revelation 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 is not some made up pie in the sky story. We finally get to see what's real. Because what we see now is such a small percentage of what is. Where do you see what is? So when we are ushered in chapter four, the cherubim, the seraphim, cherubs and seraphs, remember the plural and how that was done. That's all real and it's all going on right now while we're sitting here. It's all going on right now. It's pretty cool. Then chapter five comes. I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now, this is pretty important stuff. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Now, remember this. When Daniel was being shown all of those visions, he was desperate to understand what was going on because that was the future of his people. Same here. John the Revelator is, is so concerned as he should be, about what's going to happen to the Christians, to the Jewish believers, to the Gentile believers. What's going to happen to us? Because they've already suffered by this stage through Tiberius and Caligula and Nero. I mean, what's coming down the road? Are we going to make it? And this seal is keeping us from reading the scroll that will tell us what's next. What's going to happen now? No one steps forward. Mighty angel holds it up. Who's worthy? Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Nothing.
nobody was found. And so in verse four, I wept and I wept because no one who was found, no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders, remember those 24 that stand probably for the apostles and for the, uh, the tribes of Israel. In other words, the people that God has shepherded unto himself. All right. One of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, this is exciting. And this is what you really got to get. Because if you don't get this, you will miss Revelation. You really will. And it's not a secret. It's right in front of you. All right? There, there are no secrets in Revelation. It's all about understanding Ezekiel and Daniel and uh, Zechariah, Isaiah. Knowing your Old Testament and also knowing what the first century was like and the way they use language and such. We only make it mysterious because people love drama and they like to bring their own personal need for drama and their need for status and their need for being somebody special who I know something you don't know and this is a great secret. They bring that and slam it into this book. And that's a great disservice to the people to whom the book was written. So let's pay attention. The mighty angel cries out, John is weeping. The elder goes, no, here comes the lion. Have you ever seen a lion? Uh, I can remember the first time I saw a real lion, and it was in a zoo. I, I wish I had a better story. I wish I could say I was in the African bush. And no, it was in a zoo. And it was a lot bigger than I expected. I was expecting one of those Tarzan lions back in the black and white Tarzan days, those terribly racist, horrible movies, where he would wrestle at a stuffed lion or something it, it was it would come up to maybe his waist this thing was closer to here and i think it could have roared up a lot bigger it was terrifying and that was on the other side of bars so when the elder goes here comes the lion he's on our side he can open this we get oh so excited and the next line then i saw a lamb now if that doesn't make you put on the brakes you're reading the book too fast Pull back. You should read it fast a couple times, but whenever you want to really get into the nitty gritty, allow yourself to pump the brakes. <laughs> when you're you're looking out for the lion and you see a lamb, oh, it gets more interesting. It's not just a lamb. It's a beaten up lamb. It's a slaughtered lamb. It's a lamb that lost the fight. A lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Back it up, back it up to chapter four. Who's on the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the 24 elders? God is. Now a lamb is standing where God was. What are we gonna do with this? Here's the key, it's God. Throughout history, Christians have thought, if we just have the right program, we'll win. If we just vote the right people in, we'll win. If we just make America, Britain, whatever, a Christian nation, and sometimes people say, again, like it ever was, it will win. Or, or if we just had enough money, 
to, to, to set up this church in this place, oh, we would win. God has never won that way because he doesn't fight that way. He fights with gentleness, love, and self-sacrifice. Rome killed people on a whim. Babies were deserted to die, collected, and burned for fertilizer. It was an awful time on the planet. And God sends his son and the angels declare, you're going to get it now, planet. No. God says, peace. Peace on earth. I have goodwill toward man. He says, I'm love. We think we need a lion to win, and we don't. We need to be people who love to the point of being a slaughtered lamb, sacrificing ourselves in the name of love for Jesus Christ. Because that's how God did it. And he said, follow me. This is Jesus. This is our Lord. The Lord had seven horns. That's just a Hebrew way of saying really strong. A horn was a, a, um, a verbal way of saying strength. Seven uh, to the Hebrews, to the Jews, always meant complete total, perfect total. He has all of the power, period. He also has seven eyes, which means he has complete wisdom, Complete knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge are two different things. Knowledge, you know facts. Wisdom, you know what to do with them. You know how to manipulate them. Two very different things. So you have all of that power and everything. So why does he look like a beaten up lamb? Because that's how we win. That's through love, kindness, grace, taking the blow so that others can live. That's what we do. And that's what God is like. Showing John, it's not the strength. It's not even the mighty angel that can open this. Only the love of God can do that. And we follow the lamb. He went and took the scroll, this lamb did, from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So Jesus takes it from God, his father. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. They're, they're very, very happy that Jesus is going to take care of this and has decided to reveal this. You'll find in Revelation that sometimes the, um, those who have already died and the creatures up there will say, how long will this go on, God? And then God will answer them. Usually we don't get the answer. They hear it, we don't. Next scene, they're rejoicing because they see the wisdom in what God's doing. It's not the way we would have done it, but really. Would you have invaded a planet in the body of a not-quite-married, early teen at best, girl in a poor village nobody had ever heard of? He did. It's gone pretty well so far. Oh, boy. He'd taken it. They all fall down. Each one had a harp. They all were holding golden bowls full of incense. And by the way, that's not a really well-known, like horn means strength and eyes mean wisdom and knowledge. Uh, the bowls, the golden bowls, people are going, eh, and so he defines it, which are the prayers of God's people. God 
reacts to our prayers. There are some who believe that God decided before he created anything what every single molecule was going to do forever in this grand plan. That's not taught in the scripture. In the Bible, God works with us. Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. He talks to Moses. He says, we'll try this. If that doesn't work, we'll try this. If that doesn't work, we'll try this. He tells Jeremiah, the people did this and that had never entered my mind. So we're going to go this way. God works with us. It's a really hard concept. But once you realize it, it gives you such peace. It does. We get to play a part. Our prayers get to change the universe. God partners with us. Just like Philip. God could have gone and talked to the queen's treasurer, Ethiopian eunuch. We always call him the eunuch. Why don't we call him the queen's treasurer? I have a feeling he'd much prefer that name. God could have taught him, but he didn't. He said, Philip, go join yourself to that, that chariot. You go talk to him. God works with us. And the prayers, amazing. He uses them. They sang a new song. Who sings a new song? The four creatures. Um, seraph or seraphim, seraphim. Uh, people used to think it means to sing. It probably means to burn but even that is uncertain. So the song that says sweetest note in seraph song, eh, that, that may not be totally theologically correct, but I'm really sure God doesn't mind. Because if he would have minded, he would have told you more about it, all right? So don't worry about it. The, it's a cherubim, the seraphim, and I still say the bum and the um as such because um, I, I learned it from the old American Standard Version and the British Standard Version and the King James Version. So, you know, old habits die hard. Sometimes they don't die at all. They all sing and these the 24 elders, you are worthy. Who's worthy? Not the big muscular angels, but the slaughtered lamb because he is a slaughtered lamb. Greg Stevenson, a good friend of mine, professor up at Rochester College in Michigan, wrote a book on Revelation called A Slaughtered Lamb, or The, the Slaughtered Lamb. Greg Stevenson, with a V, uh, The Slaughtered Lamb. Very much worth your time. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Wow, a lot to unpack there. One thing I'd like for you to notice, person from every tribe and language and people and nation, God wants to save and God intends to save a lot more people than we give him credit for. Luke 3, 6, salvation has now appeared unto all men. Scripture goes on to say, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to him in repentance. Here, there are people from, it doesn't say the entire tribe. Yes, I, I'll grant you that. But people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And I also want you to notice something else about this. Not only the universality of God's love and his intention to save a lot more than we give him credit for. He never divides us by race, ever, never persons and tribes and kindreds and tongues because there's only one race biologically scientifically there's only one race culturally we divide and we tend to call those different cultures which through many years of marriage and migration and such 
take on a few tiny bits of difference in, for example, the melanin in our skin or the epithelial folds around our eyes. And we call that a different race. No, no, they're people. We're all people, all made by the same father and he never divides us by race. So we probably shouldn't be doing that either. And he made these people to be kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. The renewed earth teaching, uh, N.T. Wright teaches it, John Mark Hicks teaches it. I'd say most of the young ministers I know believe that God will redeem the planet and that this will be uh, heaven. You know, I look at it too, I, I can see heaven there, heaven here, and I just refuse to die on that hill. I just wanna go. I'm not gonna walk in and say, well, Lord, you didn't make it very plain where this was going to be. I just went in, that's it. Once I'm in, I do not plan to bother anybody. I plan to lay low <laughs> and enjoy the ride. After this, and by the way, that whole reigning thing, remember Jesus said, if you're faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many. What that means? I don't either. Nobody does. That's probably one of those things that when John sees it later, the angel says, don't write this. Paul says, it's not lawful for a man to speak of these things. Could be that's what he's talking about. This is going to be a big surprise. And I have the feeling we're really going to like it. That's why it's called heaven. It's supposed to be a happy place. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. I know people who actually try to do the math here and make that mean something. Stop. They didn't have a number for millions, trillions, quadrillions. Didn't have it. And so when they got to a certain point, they just had to go and more thousands and tens of more thousands and maybe hundred because they had those. They could put those together in combinations. There are tribes on the planet that don't count more than three. Now, they're not stupid. It's just that in their world, you never have more than three of something. And if you do, it's very rare. And so you can just say, and another. Um, having all these words shows us that we have a lot of leisure time to count and think and put together. People who have to survive for a living uh, in the jungles or in the deserts or in the plain, wherever they are, um, most likely aren't going to be sitting around thinking, you know, we need a bigger number. So don't do the math. Just understand all of the people are gathered singing. And what are they singing? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Oh, hang on. Power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, praise, seven. It's a theme. Threes and sevens. You'll find it all through here. Threes for that perfect Godhead deity. Seven for perfection, all of it total. So how much glory? All the glory. How much praise? All the glory. Uh, all the praise. You get the point. I'm rushing because I need to. Need to wrap this up. We're already 23 minutes. That's too long. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them. In other words, everything, everybody. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. Do you know how much, most cultures say amen? They clap. That's what clapping actually came from. Seal the deal. I agree. Amen. 
they hear amen and the elders found, fell down and worship. Remember this. This is being recorded just uh, less than a week before the election um, of 2020. I don't know who's going to win. Um, I have a lot I could say, but it would upset everybody because I just don't think it's worthwhile trying to get a savior out of Washington or, or a king out of London. We have a king. This is reality. All of this, that's just the bets on the fringes of reality. Reality is that God loves you so much, he will use the ultimate power of the universe, which is not found in tooth and claw, but in the slaughtered lamb, who says, love one another as I have loved you. We'll hit Revelation 6 soon, and I'll backfill those other ones and post them here as I can. All right, cheerio. Go away. Well, good morning to you. I'm in a new place, as you probably have noticed. Um, my, I've, I've been doing these from my guitar room upstairs, but a very, very kind man who is very generous as well, knowing that I no longer have an office, uh, gave me an office and his firm, and it's quite the place. So if you get dizzy quickly, you can turn your head for a moment, right? And we'll move this about. That way you can see, we've got, you know, just lovely table and everything ready, guitar there, ready for anybody to come play. All right. Those who get dizzy, we're back on solid ground. And what a day. Revelation 6. This is what many people think of when they think of Revelation. They think of the seals and, and the trumpets and the prophecies. And that's really what we're getting into today with Revelation 6. The first set, the seals, the first set of visions, there will be three sets of seven, all talking about the same thing, just using different metaphors. The first one comes in and it's quite a doozy. Uh, chapter six, and I'll read the first eight verses. I watched as a lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. <laughs> you probably will. I looked and there before me, white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a, a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living creature say, come. I looked and there before me 